0: mini break. Your daily. Podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 22nd. The 2020 French Open now officially underway as we got our first wave of men's singles qualifying results on Monday. Now we've got the second half of that draw, as well as the women's singles qualifying kicking off today on Tuesday. We've also got some really fun action for the ATP and WTA tours in Hamburg and Strasbourg, respectively. Of course, we've also We've got two challengers going on this week, ITF event de jour, uh, and of course the regular storylines, results, and controversies that come with any week in the professional tennis world. So what I want to do on today's podcast, because obviously there's a lot going on, I want to keep things organized for French Open coverage, things such as who are the men's dark horses, the women's dark horses, the contenders, all of those sorts of things. How do we think players and tournament officials are going to respond to the wave of positive COVID-19 results? we've seen across the board and obviously that's something that we are all concerned about given right now in France there is a rising number of COVID-19 cases I should say there are a rising number of COVID-19 cases and as of right now the French Open still planning on allowing fans on the grounds and so you know we've started to learn bits and pieces different details but we're going to save those for the Great Shot Podcast French Open preview content which again all of you can find on our Great Shot Podcast feed we will talk about the French Open qualifying results here today because of course that's the tennis but if you're looking for expanded thoughts on again this wave of positive tests how we think the French Tennis Federation the various players are going to respond to that positive test uh, to just the atmosphere right now on the grounds be sure to go check out our Great Shot podcast feed to keep things simple again I'm going to focus on the tennis here I want to talk about Strasbourg Hamburg French Open qualities a couple of things I noticed at the challenger level and then offer you some fun stats because, of course, there are so many stats, right? There are so many different ways you can look at professional tennis. He's the youngest player ranked since X. He's been in the top two of the rankings since Y. She's won, you know, Z amount of titles. Therefore, she's a contender. I want some fun stats uh, for all of you listeners, and I think you'll enjoy. I'm going to share those at the end. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here at the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar. And, of course, you know the phrasing by now. You know are saying you know our motto it's more of a lifestyle than everything than anything else you look good you feel good you play good that comes in all aspects of life for me i get a good nights rest i start my day out with the run that i like to go on uh, i know it's going to be a good day of podcasting because my brain and my mind are clear my brain is my mind but my mind is clear i'm focused i'm locked in i've got new blood pumping through my body, given that I went on a run. Notice how all this is just a humble brag for me to let you listeners know. Yeah, I run. No big deal. Do you run? I don't know, but I do. Anyways, if you're looking for gear to run in, because more frequently than not nowadays, I'm running in some of our sponsored gear. I turn to our friends at Midwest Sports because I know they have everything in the business. And I've talked on the podcast when we had Midwest Sports buyer Dave Limke on the show. And he says, Alex, look, tennis shoes are for tennis. Running shoes are for running. I'm weird like this. I like to run in my tennis shoes because normally when I'm, you know, if I'm competing, if I'm being athletic, it usually means I'm playing tennis. Not that I don't play, again, I'm being defensive now. I do play other sports, not just tennis, but more often than not in my life, it's been tennis. So I grew up training in my tennis shoes. And again, that's really dumb, but maybe you're also like me. You're really dumb. You're a man of superstition. Sorry, you're not really dumb. I love you, Crack Dragons fans. Wow, this ad read has really gotten away from me. Leave it all in, West Off. The point being, the newest shoe newest rackets newest strings you name it they've got it all at MidwestSports.com you use our promo code CR15 you're going to get 15% off your order you're going to get free 2 day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 and of course best of all you're going to get that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Shoes, uh, Midwest Sports Wine to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a successful one. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Also, make sure you're handling your nutrition, your uh, fitness the right way. For me, that means starting every day off with an arrow Bar. It's the perfect way to start my day. More potassium than a banana. I get to choose between delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, or chocolate chip flavors. And sometimes when I'm feeling adventurous, when I'm tired, Tolerant enough. I want to go do the play-by-play. I want to do a little film study, listen to some of the podcasts we recorded. Uh, More often than not, I turn to our Getting to the Point episodes because those are really fun. So many great guests. You know, uh, who have we had of late? I mean, we've had, uh, it's hard to keep track, Jay Berger, Bjorn Fertangelo, Michael Russell, Lauren Embry. Um, I mean, uh, Trip Phillips. It's just Billy Pate. I could go on and on and on. So Dave Witt, so many great guests. You can find them all uh, on the Mini Break or Correct Interviews podcast feeds. And of course, you can support Support our friends at Aerobar by going to aerobar.com using that promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. So again, look good. Feel Good, Play Good, Midwest Sports, Aero Bar, Cracked Rackets, and again, I do apologize. I can't, You all are brilliant. You don't want to be stupid like me, but maybe you want to train in tennis shoes like me. That's going to bother me all day. Anyways, uh, I'm still feeling good. I'm ready to rock and roll into this podcast, so with that in mind, let's get to the results we saw on Monday in the professional tennis world, and of course, we also saw the Rome Finals yesterday, Novak Djokovic knocking out Diego Schwartzman, Simona Halep uh, winning the first set comfortably up. Up big on Karolina Pliskova before she pulls out of that match with injury concerns. I touched on those briefly on yesterday's mini break, which I know came later in the day. Uh, Needless to say, uh, wow, hey, great shot on the rhyme there. Like I said, it's a good podcasting day. Um, You know, Djokovic rolled, Simona Halep is the favorite on the women's side entering the French Open. That's the takeaway from Rome, and She deserves it because it's not a hot take. It's, oh, she just won one title, and now she's the favorite. Well, actually, that's her second title since tennis restarted at the beginning of August. She also won a title on clay in Prague. She knocked off, I believe, Elise Mertens in the final of that event. And so, you know, do it once. Okay, I want to see it again. She's now done it twice here in the past six weeks. Prohibitive favorite to entering. Uh, prohibitive's too strong, but Clear favorite, that's better. A clear favorite entering uh, the 2020 French Open. And then for Novak Djokovic, I mean, sure, Rafa's always the favorite until he actually loses at the French, but Novak's 1A, right? He's If it's not Rafa right now, it's either going to be Novak or maybe Dominic And that we have it whittled down to three guys so early. You know, if you're a follower of our GSP Ace of the Day. By the way, great Tuesday for the GSP Ace of the Day. We'll save that for uh, tomorrow's Ace of the Day segment. That guarantees we're going to have a rough win state. But uh, nevertheless, those were the takeaways from yesterday's Rome matches in case you didn't listen to that pod. But if you want to listen to more about Rome, go check out yesterday's mini break podcast. Let's start today's conversation with a look at the action we saw in Strasbourg because uh, there were far more matches yesterday on the women's side than there were on the men. A bunch of interesting ones as well. We had four. Three-set matches, all various degrees of entertaining. For me, the one that caught my eye the most, uh, you know, Katerina Sinyakova, who gets a really impressive three-set win, 4-6, 7-6, 6-1 over Bernarda Pera. You talk about Katerina Sinyakova. Again, not a name that jumps out at you in the way some of these other 24-, 25-year-olds do, but Sinyakova, she's been right around number 30 in the world, the 24-year-old uh, from the Czech Republic, obviously, uh, today. Just a really well-rounded performance, Again, Bernard, against Bernardo Pera, she protected her first serve well. She was able to protect her first serve points, create break chances for herself, took advantage of the fact Bernardo Pera had a really off-serving day. 17 double faults. Now, you know, for her, uh, 10 of those come in the second set. It's the set. Pera really should have closed the deal here on Sinyakova. and that's really my focus for this match. Bernardo Pera is playing so well. The lefty American has had so many close three-set losses. It's felt like since uh, Tennis' restart, you look for her, the three-set loss here to Sinyakova last week in Rome, three-set loss to Kuznetsova at the U.S. Open for Bernardo Pera, three-set loss to Maria Sakkari in Cincy, three-set loss to Diana Yastremska. in uh, Lexington, three-set loss to Serena Williams. What I'm trying to say is, I think you go back, Indian Wells before tennis stopped, three-set loss to Misaki Doi, you go back, uh, you have to go all the way back to the Qatar Open where she ended up going through qualifying beat cam. Lajorzi and beat Caroline Garcia round one before losing in straight sets to Karolina Pliskova. What I'm trying to say is, A, Bernardo Pera competes and finds herself in every match, and this was a really good win from Sinyakova to get over the hump, to come back from a set down. and, you know, once Bernardo Pera blew that second set, you could just tell the, uh, you know, the train had sort of left the station for her in set three, but I really like the way Bernardo's pairing. She's had a Bernardo Pera is playing, excuse me, she's pairing, she's playing Hey, great shot, uh, because she just continues to create opportunities for herself and for Sinyakova. That's a really good win. She moved the ball around the court really well, did just enough to survive in that match. Credit to her, she advances to the next round. Some of the other three-set matches, you know, Sloane-Stevens, the number eight seed, upset. I have air quotes. I'm doing it right now with my hands. uh, By now, Habino, who has played really well of late. You talk for Habino, where she is at in the rankings right now, uh, currently number 82 for the 25-year-old. You talk for Sloane-Stevens, who, again, has struggled so much these past 18 months. She's at number 35, but that's misleading. I mean, uh, you look right now in terms of what Habino has been doing of late on the court she's just you know simply put she's had better results than sloan stevens over these past 16 months so you want to call this an upset five but for habino you know you talk about again she had a three set loss in qualities in rome but it's not like sloan looked great in rome she lost four and fourth the u.s open to muguruza you know that's a fine loss and uh i mean look it wasn't pretty tennis. Habino did a really good job of forcing Sloan to the outer thirds, of changing direction on Sloan, but this per- performance had a lot to do with Sloan Stevens. Just, she wasn't there mentally, and she kind of won that second set, but kind of felt like if you watched the match, she was just slapping, and it sort of worked. And the fact that it worked, maybe that shows the limits of now Hobino's upside in terms of she doesn't have the biggest weapons, uh, and Stevens had plenty of chances in this match, but I'm pretty sure at one point in this match, they traded like seven straight breaks of serve, and I mean... It just wasn't pretty tennis, uh, simply put, but a really good win for now. Habino to advance to the round of 16, get some momentum for her as she heads towards the French open. A couple of other three set matches just quickly. Uh, Shui Zhang three set win for her over Alia Tamjanovic, uh, for Diaz, another tricky out on the clay, six, seven, seven, five, seven, six win for her over Christina McHale. That was a really fun match. Couple of the other results. Astapenko, former French open champion folks, straight set wins for her over Lord Davis. Uh, Blinkova, straight set win. Sabalenka, straight set win over Ellen Perez. That was a fantastic match, by the way. I highly recommend you go watch the highlights on the WTA YouTube channel uh, because it was really, really enjoyable. Uh, you know, Sabalenka, obviously, she, I think she moves really well on the clan With her serve, the ability to set up plus one shots, her return, how overwhelming it can be. I really like her game on clay, and I think she moves really well. Also now, full credit to Ellen Perez, who just... She played to win. She played aggressive, drop shot down the line, taking balls early, moving forward. She did it all. I was so impressed with her game, and it's hilarious to me how similarly her and fellow Australian J.P. Smith, also a lefty, uh, play. That's just a little common throwaway for you college tennis fans out there. Go watch the film. You'll be like, oh my god, did these two have the same coach growing up? And And honestly, it's like, maybe. I mean, I had someone once tell me, you know, uh, I grew up training with the same person, and we both went on to play club tennis at Michigan. He was a couple of years older than me, but I come on the team, and this guy goes, did you, did you have the same coach as Kyle? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I did, but why would you ask that? And he's like, you know, I, I was like, yeah, not only did we have the same coach, we were doubles partners in high school, but anyways, I was like, yeah, why would you ask it? He goes, you guys have the same forehand. And he's like, and I don't like either of them. And I was like, that's fair. Yeah, we both a little bit big on the backswing. That's the way our coach taught it. And, you know, evidently that's why I'm behind this mic and not competing in Hamburg right now. But uh, anyways, Ellen Perez, J.P. Smith, similar games, Arena Sabalenka threat once again. I'm always liable to fall in love with her game to think she's got a chance to bring home a major. Don't feel any differently heading into this French Open in terms of the other results Really good win for Ekaterina Alexandrova. Straight set uh, for her 1-0. Alize Cornet continuing to look good. 3-4 and win in a tricky win over Polona Herzog. We also had Magda Lynette, a straight set winner over Parmentier. And then Elena Rabakina, really tricky. 7-5, 6-4 win over Grace Minen. Minnen led uh, big in that first set. Rabakina just kept slugging away. And, you know, I, I think she's a much better mover on hardcourt than she is on clay. But, I mean, that plus-one ball, her ability to dictate her willingness to move forward and put you under pressure, force you as an opponent to move on the clay, take a look at a pass, and on clay it's a lot harder to get two looks at passing shots than it is on hard courts. I really like the pressure she puts on her opponents, that was a really good win for her over Minnan, who moves exceptionally on the clay and is one of those few people who can get two looks at passing shots, and so I thought that was really impressive, and of course the play continues on, it's going to be a really fun uh, Tuesday, I'm recording this now at 4 p.m., Coast time, but uh, fun matches, you know, Teichman, pa- Pavlochenkova, Svitolina, Lynette, Zhang, Burel, Cornet, Ribakina, Ry- all of those matches I previewed on today's GSP Ace of the Day. So if you want to hear more about that, be sure to go check out that podcast. That was the action in Strasbourg. Let's turn now to Hamburg, where we have many uh, players who maybe they just, uh, you know, the big thing for players playing this week, because it's a lot of big names, right? We just talked about Rybakina. We talked about uh, you know, uh, people like Ekaterina Alexandrova, uh, all names that we think could make runs at uh, the French Open, right? And, you know, some of the other names we talked about in there, some of the seeded players we are getting to see this week uh, take part not just in Hamburg, but in Strasbourg. and Hamburg, you know, we had these results happen already today, but you see guys like Taylor Fritz or Gael Monfils or Daniil Medvedev who maybe didn't get any reps week one or only played one match. They're not feeling comfortable about their results. They're not feeling comfortable in their level. They just want a little bit more action before they get to uh, another Grand Slam. Uh, That's probably why you play this week, right? Another name in action in Strasbourg. I mentioned uh, Sabalenka and Alina Svitolina. Of course, you've got Kiki Burtons as well. All of these players just trying to find their range, trying to find some comfort. And normally you say, Ooh, is it really a good idea to play the week before a Grand Slam? Well, after having five and a half months off, after not playing many matches, yes, I think for these players, they're fit enough. They'll be just fine to hold up over the course of three weeks. I mean, we just saw Naomi Osaka and Vika Azarenka rip off, you know, one loss, respectively, three week stretches. Uh, the good players, they can do it. And that's the level you're expected to reach now in pro tennis. And so, uh, you know, that being said, we do do see a lot of interesting names, and it led to some interesting results yesterday in Hamburg, some guys who are probably still questioning themselves as we head into the French Open. Uh, let's start with Taylor Fritz real quick, who has just not played well, simply put, on the clay, just hasn't found his rhythm at all. Last week uh, in Rome took a bad loss, respectively, to Travaglia, 6-4, 7-6, just couldn't find his rhythm in the match. Today, arguably a worse loss to Pablo Cuevas, who's obviously exceptional on the clay. Who's going to move Fritz around? Get him, got him stretched to the outer thirds, and played the sort of high percentage tennis you need to. But for Taylor Fritz, it's just. The first step isn't there, and the serve hasn't been as effective on the clay. Sixty-three percent first serves a good number, but only won fifty-five percent of those points. Only won forty-five percent of his second serve points. Allowed Cuevas to go ten of eighteen on his respective second serve. It's just if you can get Fritz moving to the outer thirds, get him going side to side on the clay. He's become a lot better mover on hard courts, but his I guess lack of natural fluidity gets exposed. You see him stumbling a lot. You see him, you know, sliding out of shots and then his momentum's going completely the opposite direction. So it's just that much, you know, that extra split second it's that time is taken away from him and it's the little things. And obviously again, Quavos played a really good match in this one. But it's concerning if you're a Taylor Fritz fan heading into this French Open that now we've seen that happen twice to him. And just in both matches, he wasn't really able to find his rhythm. But, you know, credit to Pablo Cuevas, who again, as tough of an out as you're going to find on a clay court, just tracks down every extra ball, just is going to move the ball around the court so well. Tricky game, uh, the one handed backhand, of course. But uh, credit to him for getting a pretty comfortable straight set win here. Uh, only three other matches in Hamburg. We had Rublev knocking on. Off Sandgren, 3-3. Three and three. That was an outstanding performance from Andre Rublev, who looks more comfortable moving on the clay. And with his ability to dictate the heaviness of his stroke, his ability to change directions with that forehand, the, the more comfortable he becomes with his backhand going down the line as well. Guy's a stud. And, like, I'm starting to think it doesn't matter what surface he's playing on. As long as he's playing well, he can knock off anyone. And that wasn't something I was sure was going to happen on non-hardcourt surfaces early in his career. So, again, I need to see more of it. But that's a really good start for Andre Rublev. Really good win over Tennis Sandgren. And just quietly for Andre Rublev, you look at what he's done so far on the clay. Obviously, had a great run in the U.S. Open. But last week, good win over Bagnus, Three-set loss to Hercots. That was a really high-level here. A win over, obviously, as tough of an out physically. We, everything you said for Pablo Cuevas, I could say for Tennis Sandgren, uh, that's a really good win for Rublev, who Sandgren wasn't able to hurt, uh, wasn't able to get stretched. And again, that's a really nice sign of improvement from him. Two other results on the day. Yuri Vesely, the big lefty, a former junior number one servant, Jill Simone, off the court, 7-5, 6-2. Always a dangerous threat, not a guy you want to play first round. And then Tommy Paul. Comes through qualifying. Really impressive 6-4, 6 6 6-4 win over Kevin Anderson. Of course, the added tidbit here, Kevin Anderson's current coach, Diego Moyano former coach of Tommy Paul, knows his game about as well as anyone. Uh, That's just a really good win from Tommy, who moved the ball around the court well physically. Again, he's just so impressive. He can do so many different things. And, you know, I wouldn't say there's any one thing right now he does great, except for maybe his movement. But he showed off the entire arsenal, down the lines, cross courts, taking balls early, moving forward, the heavy kick serves. He just, it was a really smart match for him against an Anderson who's still trying to find his rhythm post-injury. But credit to Tommy Paul. Uh, that was a really good win for him, and now we get some really fun matches in Hamburg. Today, you know, uh, Umbert, Medvedev, Hanifman, Monfis, both upset alert. Hatchinov, Struff, I said it, I think that's going to be a three-set battle. Uh, Christian Garen Kei Nishikori, for versus Nishioka. Can for keep up his level? Fabio Fodnini versus Kohlschreiber. What does Fodnini look like? Some really good matches, and you know, I kind of see the results now. All I'll say, go listen to today's GSP Ace of the Day. That is my plug for you in terms of where we are at, uh, looking at the Hamburg results moving forward. Now, with that in mind, of course, we also have French Open qualities over underway, and I'm not going to go through every match here, not read all of the winners. I did take away a couple of highlights uh, from the results. I'll read those for you listeners now. Now, I believe yesterday we had 48 total matches in terms of men's qualifying. We had seven, one, two, three, four, five. I should have done this counting beforehand. I apologize. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 seeds upset on the day. The most notable of them, number one seeded Diego sabith who of course won a title uh, on clay in 2020 at the ATP level earlier in the year. Uh, he lost a tricky match to Emilio Gomez, former USC standout. Gomez uh, here, uh, of course, a 6-3, 6-2 winner over sabith I'll just say this, physically, what Gomez is able to do to the young Sabethville, that's not shocking. Emilio Gomez is really freaking good in the heaviness of his forehand, how comfortable he is moving on the clay. You know, that's a match you expect Diego Sabethville to win, but, you know, really credit to uh, Emilio Gomez. I'm not going to lie to you all. I didn't uh, watch the match, but it doesn't surprise me because Emilio Gomez, really, really talented. Now... A couple of the other upsets that didn't surprise me, number three-seeded Chris O'Connell goes down uh, in his match. Now, of course, for the three-seed O'Connell, that sounds notable, but he lost 5-4 and four to Elias Yammer, a spectacular young, rising Swedish player who uh, is right there in terms of the level. And 5-4, and four, I mean, that's a pick a match. That's a couple of breaks. Not a shocking result for me at all. You know, some of the other seeds, I'll read the names that went down. You had Peter Gojewicz, Donskoy Varias, Griekspor, J.J. Wolf. Chris O'Connell, Kovalec, Sosa, Ivashka, Stebb, Nagal, Neg- uh, uh, Blaz Rola, Dennis Kudla, Tiago Sabethville, and Paolo Lorenzi all knocked off on the day. You know, 17 of the 48 matches went three sets, so there were a bunch of pick-ums. Uh In terms of Americans on the day, they went 5 and 6. And again, it was just the men's singles qualifying that kicked off yesterday. Uh, in terms of the winners, we had four American men Ulysses Blanche, Chris Eubank, Sebastian Corda, Jack so- Michael Moe all winners that's great to hear obviously you know young players like Corda Moe Blanche now that they're 20, 20 21 22 this is the time for them to start making their breakthroughs to start not only getting into qualifying if they're going to be top 100 players at this point it's not just getting into the qualifying rounds it's advancing through the qualifying rounds, and obviously to do that, you got to win match number one. Those five were able to do so. Uh, some tricky losses on the day: Dennis Kudla, uh, you know, or Mitchell Kruger, I should say, knocked out by Sebastian Corda. So that's an American on American crime. Noah Rubin, tough matchup for him in Evo Karlovich Karlovic, Karlovic uh, straight set win in that one. J.J. Wolf, Max Cressy, Brandon Nakashima, three uh, former college guys still trying to get their legs under them on the clay. Now, you know, Cressy's game in particular. It'll be interesting to see how the serving and volleying translates to the clay. But for Nakashima and Wolf, I think it's just a matter of reps more than anything else. And for Dennis Kudla in his match, again, context is key. He lost to a really tricky Frenchman in Enzo Cacao. uh It was a good match. But uh, in the end, just you know, five and six for Kakao, it's a pick 'em. em uh, And you look at the stats in this match. I believe both guys broke a couple of times. But just that one extra break for Kakao, that does the job. And so he's able to get through. Now, all of you listeners know how much we adore ten- uh, college tennis here at Cracked Rackets, so I will also point out for the men, college players 6-7, and seven, and I may have missed some if I did, let me know, but here are the results I had. In terms of the winners yesterday, start with my fellow Wolverine, Go Blue, Jason Jung, a winner, Yannick Maiden of Clemson, a winner, Braden Schnurr, UNC winner, Alex Vukic, Illinois winner, Chris Eubanks, Georgia Tech, and then as I mentioned, Emilio Gomez, USC. In terms of the guys who came up a little bit short, Tough day for the Buckeyes. Although, I suppose a win in itself that there were three Buckeyes in qualifying yesterday in Torp, Wolf, and Rolla. That's awesome. Uh, Unfortunately, all three of them not able to get over the hump. Same with Noah Rubin, Max Cressy, Julian Lenz of Baylor, and then, as I mentioned, Brandon Nakashima, who we all remember the year he spent in Charlottesville as a University of Virginia Cavalier. Uh, Those were the big results, but of course, we have more French Open qualities coming on Tuesday as well. More. uh, uh, men's matches underway. I know college guys like Ty Kwiatkowski's in play. I know Heon Chung's in play. We're all, you know, Bradley Klon, another college guy. Roberto Sid, another college guy. We're all wondering how they are going to look. Uh, some other fun names, Carlos Taberno, Yuri Rodanoff, two young players who've been making their way on the Challenger tour. they They're back uh, in the action. And, of course, Heon Chung uh, getting his restart. We are all curious to see if the former Australian Open semifinalist, if healthy, can get back towards the top 20 top 10 in the ATP rankings because I will never forget his run at the start of 2018. It was special and I was sold. It was the first three month stretch really that we seriously were doing the podcast all the time Uh, and that run will just stick with me for a little bit because on a hard court you're just like this guy, I see it for the next 10 years, just quarterfinals after quarterfinal after quarterfinal of every event he plays, maybe better you know, depending on his level Uh, and obviously that hasn't been the case these past couple of years and so uh, hopefully he's able to bounce back get through qualies in some sort of fun fashion. Two other pieces of French Open news real quick, and then we'll get to everything else down the home stretch. Piece one, not going to be surprising to any of you, but Bianca Andreescu officially pulling out and announcing her decision to skip the clay court season. Quote, I've come to the difficult decision to skip the clay court swing this year and will be taking the remainder of the season off to focus on my health and training. As hard as it was to come to this conclusion, I have so much to look forward to in 2021, including the Olympics. I want to use this time to focus on my game so I can come back stronger and better than ever. As always, your encouraging words and support meant the world to me, and I look forward to getting back on the court and competing for Canada next year. Uh, XO, which I believe is a hug and a kiss, uh, from B. Uh, And so obviously, again, we all just want Bianca Andreescu to come back healthy. We want her to come back playing the way she was when we last saw her in 2019. If that means sitting out the duration of this 2020 season so that we can have 10 good years from Bianca Andreescu, I'm totally fine with that. You can understand it. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anyone, but obviously, slight disappointment as we all look forward to seeing her back on the court. We also learned the seeds officially announced for the 2020 French Open. I'm not going to list them all for you. I'll go through the notable ones. I suppose top eight seeds. If you're looking at it, what the big question, what side of the draw is Dominic team going to land on? Is he going to land with number one, Novak Djokovic, or is he going to land with number two, Rafael Nadal? That's a huge question, of course, because those are the three guys to beat entering this event. You look at some of the other ones, Gael Monfils, number eight seed, a spoiler alert. He's 0 two in his two clay matches. Uh, since he resumed action on the ATP tour, uh, Uh, that's probably a nice opportunity. Dennis Schapp of all of the nine seed, that's crazy. Uh, that's just a weird thing for me to see. It's ditto with things like Andre Rublev, 13. Uh, you know, Christian Guerin, 21. That's obviously interesting. Benoit Pair, 24. Hello, attackable seed. The Deuce, 22. Uh, that's a dangerous, 22 seed. Krainovich, 27. Dangerous. Kasper Rudd, 29. Hubi uh 30. Love that pairing. Stroof 31. I'm still not sure what to think about him. And then Baselosvili, 32. I promise you, that's who I'm going to pick for first seed eliminated from the draw, uh, but interesting to look for the men. For the women, again, Simona Halep, the player to beat, she's the number one seed. Karolina Pliskova, number two. Svitolina, three. Ten and four. Burton's five. Interesting, Serena Williams, still top ten, number six seed, and then it goes Bencic and Kvitova. Sabalenka Kanta, round out your top ten. Vika Azarenka, no longer disrespected. She will be your number eleven seed in this event, dangerously behind her. Garbin Muguruza, uh, the number twelve seed, of course, last year's finalist, Marketa Vandrusova, the 16 seed. I like this threesome right here. Mertens, Kanteve, Kerber, 17, 18, 19. That's a dangerous section of the draw. Looking forward to seeing what Jennifer Brady, the number 22 seed, looks like. Again, you look at all of these names though, The seating list feels right for the women. I think they got the exact 32 names. And, of course, you want to throw in, like, a Boozkova in there. That's fine. But I like a lot of the ways this broke down. I think it's going to be a wide-open, fascinating Grand Slam, just like it was at the U.S. Open. And I know for us tennis fans, that means we are in for some really fun action. Now, with that in mind, let's talk through everything else we're going to get to see this week. Of course, two challengers, one in Italy, uh, the other going on right now, I believe, uh, in Romania. You look in Italy, number one seed, Francis Tiafo, the two seed, Cam Nori, both advancing. We did see number five seed, Yuki Sagita, get knocked off, but the six seed, Loy Harris, seven seed, Federico Coria, Thomas Bellucci, Guillermo Clizar, uh, Pellegrino, and Sakamoto, all winners yesterday in Italy. Of course, for all of these players, you're just, you know, for Tiafo and Nori, again, it's finding your level, finding your rhythm them as you head into the French Open. For Cam Norrie, I think he's played less than 30 matches in his career on clay, so certainly getting more, pro matches, I should say, so certainly getting more repetition, uh, something he is looking for here uh, this week in Italy, and actually, I'm going to look at the results. Did he win today? Because he was strangely low odds yesterday against Pellegrino. You look at it today, I don't think they've played yet, so that's interesting, but just something to keep in mind. Those odds were funky to me, of course, in Romania. You've got wild card into the French Open, number one seeded Arthur Rinderneck in action. Guys like Borna Gojo, who, of course, we all know and love from his days at Wake Forest. Uh, a bunch of fun players in the draw there. So, challenge your tennis to watch when you are not watching the action in Hamburg or Strasbourg. Uh, a couple of other fun stats for all of you listeners before we wrap today's show. Uh, we talked about Simona Halep at the top. Simona Halep's top 10 streak is the number we talk about a lot. This is from Courtney Wynn, excuse me, at 40 Deuce Twits, who you all know as soon as I can get her on the podcast I will uh, but that's a conversation for another time anyways Halep's top 10 streak is the uh, here's the quote is the number we've talked about a lot but just realized today look at her top rank by year since she cracked the top 10 she's been ranked either number one or number two in each of the last seven years that's crazy I mean that's That's nuts. And, you know, she's also spent half of her top 10 weeks being ranked in the top two. Uh, I mean, do we not respect where is Simona Halep right now in your top 10 rankings? Where is she in terms of competitors in the Serena Williams era of tennis? Because let's be honest, when we look at the 21st century, that's what we're going to call this. This was the Serena Williams era. Justifiably so. It speaks to her greatness. I say this all the time. Not the best women's tennis player of all time, the greatest athlete, period, of all time, Serena Williams. And who were her biggest competitors? It's so interesting because Simona Halep came at the end, and for the beginning of her career, 2015, 16, 17, when she really was starting to become a leader, or I should say really 13, 14, 15, I guess, she was her own biggest roadblock, whether it was losing Grand Slam finals. She lost her first three, first four, right? But is there a more consistent player in women's tennis in the 21st century, just year in, year out? Has there been a better seven-year run, really, more consistent from opponents of Serena Williams? And I'm not saying there haven't been individual moments of greatness, right? Because, you know, Sharapova at her best, Venus at her best, Justine Enin at her best. Justine Enin's really the number one player for me on this list. But, you know, there are names you can point to here and there. They had really good one-year, two-year, three-year runs or sporadic runs here and there through the entire 2010s, it's been Simona Halep, and she has been that good, and I just hope she gets the sort of respect she deserves as an all-time great, because it's obviously very easy for her to be overshadowed by the end of Serena and all of the greatness that comes with it, as well as the emergence of all of these spectacular next-gen talents, people like Osaka, Kennan, Andreescu, etc., uh, but Simona Halep is just—I hope she gets— I don't know what 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 number. If she wins five slams, I just if she wins five, then she's in that elite category, right? I think the opportunity for her to win eight, which is your top eight player of all time, if you get to eight slams, there's only I've mentioned this before. I think it's eight men and eight eight women who have done it. And I think like seven men who have done it or something like that. You solidify your spot as a top ten player for your respective gender. I think that ship has sailed. But just you look at her accomplishments, you look at the durability. Simone helps a stud, and you know if that's was that team necessary for today's podcast? No, but she deserves more love than she gets. Uh, so we're going to throw in three minutes here on Tuesday, September 22nd, just marveling at Simone Halep. A couple of other ones we mentioned yesterday, or I guess they're all related to Dennis Shapovalov. Fun fact for this, you look at it now for Dennis Shapovalov by advancing into the top 10. I believe he becomes the 21st lefty to enter the top 10, you look at some of the lefties who have done it in tennis's past, uh, obviously a lot of these names, very impressive uh, names such as Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, Goran Ibenizovic, uh Rafael Nadal, of course, and Roscoe Tanner, that's an old school one, um, you know, uh, Forge and Corda and Rios, the, all of these guys, really, really special, but Feels like that number would be higher, right? It's in the open since 1973 that there have only been 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18. I just wanted to check my math that Chapaval is the 20th guy to do it. Uh, that feels a little bit low, but it's a testament again to his success. You also look at it from my friend at Luca Beck. And by the way, that last that comes from only Roger can fly on Twitter. Um, but you know this one from at Luca Beck, Chapaval, the first player born in 1999 to, uh, to become a top 10 player. You look, since 1960, every year of birth has had someone become a top 10 player, except 1995. And who was born in 1995? I was. Devastating news. Anyways, that put a damper on my moot last night. Nevertheless, you look at the guys who have done it uh, around this birth date, you know, let's just go through the, uh, I guess let's go through this list, because I think it's going to be pretty fun. 86, Rafael Nadal. Check. 87, Novak Djokovic, check. 88, Juan Martin Del Potro, check. By the way, he did that on October 16th, 2008, my 13th birthday, which in the Jewish religion means a little bit extra. So shout out to you, Juan Martin Del Potro. I knew we had a special connection all of these years. Now I'm starting to realize why. Uh, K. Nishikori, the next guy to do it, 89. In terms of the 90s guys to do it, Rayonich Dimitrov, Jack Sock, team, Luka Pui, no one for 95, Hatchnov was the first 96ers, Zverev 97er, uh, Tsitsipas 98er, Shapovalov 99, now it seems kind of obvious, but to be the first of your age group to become a top 10 player, uh, that's pretty special, and I know, I believe Alex Diemenauer is a fellow 99 or I think he is going to get to that level at some point in his career, but... Credit to Denis Shapovalov, obviously, for getting the job done first. And you look at it right now in terms of active players, the youngest to crack the top 10. Nadal was the youngest to do it at 18 and 10 months. Then came Djokovic at 19-9. Nine. Murray did it at 19-11. Djokovic, 20 years old, 13 days. Zverev, 20 years old, one month. Tsitsipas, 20 years, six months. Federer, 20 years, nine months. Interesting. Delpo, Zverev, Tsitsipas all did it after Roger Federer. So for all of you who are like, oh, these guys are never going to be as good as them. I mean, they were better at an earlier age. They cracked the top 10. I'm not saying that means they're going to win 20 grand slams. I'm just saying they still have a very high future ahead of them. And then, of course, guys like Gasquet, Chilic, Shapovalov. Those are the last three. So interesting to see Gasquet on that list. Uh, obviously, an incredible tennis player, but you talk about how good he was as a junior. It felt like, I don't know, two three majors was certainly in the realm of possibility for him. Anyways, I thought that was a fun stat all of you listeners would enjoy hearing before we wrap today's show. And of course, I know all of you are also looking for that French Open preview content. You want to get ready for the year's third and final Grand Slam. It's our job here at Cracked Rackets to help you do so. So of course, I will highly recommend you like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interview, and Inside Out Podcast so that you don't miss any of our preview content. Of course, as soon as the draws come out, we will have preview content for you all on our YouTube channel, so go subscribe there, and be sure to check out our website, crackedrackets.com, where you can find all of the latest happenings for us here at Cracked Rackets, a huge shout out to our Patreon supporters without whom none of this would be possible, and of course, a huge shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, go to midwestsports.com, use the promo code CR15, aerobar.com, the promo code is cracked15 to get 15% off your respective orders, and to let them know that we sent you there. Also, a huge shout-out to our super producers, Max Fliedner and Daniel Westhoff, who, as always, have a of an any job to do, and we will keep them busy, folks, because, of course, we are so excited for the French Open to kick off. We hope you follow it along with us here at Cracked Rackets. But with that being said, for my wonderful super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Kruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.